Welcome to this episode of the UK Sports Chat Podcast. I'm Joe Williams and in today's episode I speak with Nick Butter. Nick is a British endurance athlete, speaker, author and fundraiser and Nick was the well is the first man to have run a marathon in every country in the world which he finished last November 2019. He has a new book coming out about this journey in November, on November the 11th, and he is currently running from north to south of Italy, completing 100 marathons in 100 days. I've caught up with him on day 35, I think. Um, He's currently injured, um, and he talks about, amongst other things, his run around the world, how he got inspired um, to take up these challenges, and how he's going to complete this one, considering that he's... um, that he's got this challenge ahead of him with this injury. Enjoy. Morning, Nick. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, very. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Good. I'm. Uh, I'm, I'm in good spirits despite the the recent slight little injury and setback. Which, uh, to be honest, I've been very lucky with those kind of things. So uh, yeah, I can't complain. Yeah. So go on. Tell tell us tell us about your challenge that you're on at the moment, and um and what's happened. I've I've been following along, so I know I know what you're talking about. But just describe <laughs> so, it for us. Yeah. So I'll give you a bit of a backstory. So I mean, this year was the whole of this year was designed to be a, a speaking tour to, to share the story of the last journey and uh, to hopefully inspire some some kids. I, I do lots of schools, so I quite enjoy that side of things. And then what with COVID happening, um, that was all. Uh, postponed initially and then cancelled and then we just put everything back to next year and we thought you know what let's just do something that's fun this year as much as we can in terms of travel and adventure but while we can stick to the COVID rules and so yeah. once we're out of lockdown we said we were I had all sorts of plans we were going to be doing um we're going to be circumnavigating Iceland. I was going to be running uh, north to south of Malawi, which have both been pushed back to next year as well. Um, and instead, we thought, what can we do where we can actually get to a country that's relatively safe now? Um, and I thought, well, it would be nice to go and, and do a trip that's running point to point. And part of what I hope to be in the future is to, to run lots of north to south of countries and circumnavigate countries and just, to be honest, just have a laugh and enjoy what I, I love doing, which is running, so yeah. travelling. Um, so we picked Italy, and the idea was to run 100 marathons in 100 days, running north to south of Italy, so the very, very top uh, very top of Italy, all the way down to Sicily, um, have a few days in, in Sicily for Christmas. Um, and nice. we are about a month and a bit in now. Um, it's day 36 today, um, but three days ago, so I did 33 marathons in 33 days, um, really it, frankly, it was a, a little bit of a, a jolly because, you know, I'm, I'm quite comfortable with the distance and it was about you know, running for, it was, I, I liken it to getting up in the morning and uh, going, going to work, except I'm running for four or five hours quite gently through Italy and um, my girlfriend Nikki and I and our, our puppy Poppy um, live in a van and, and the idea was to travel along and, and a few days ago on day 33, um, I was suffering with an injury and it just got a little bit too much and it I thought it was a tendon problem in my shin. Um, It then transpired that it probably was shin splints. And then what I did wrong, um, because I'm not that experienced with injuries, to be honest, because I've got away with a lot of of injuries uh, not happening. Um, And and I think it's it's just transpired now that it's uh, some form of stress fracture in my lower lower shin. Um, And so I... I couldn't walk like two days ago. I, I tried to get out. We stayed in this hotel to rest up and, and 
heal myself and um and i tried to get down for breakfast in the morning and I, I literally couldn't make it past the next the next bedroom along in the corridor um i was just the absolute agony so i spoke to lots of physios had some incredibly lovely people on social media message me and give me so much advice and i just i just took every bit of advice i watched hours of youtube stuff about what i could do better because yeah. um, i get a lot of questions about this when i have interviews and, and people say oh so how do you overcome injuries and the honest answer is i have no idea what to do with an injury everything is individual and you don't really know what's going on and even if you go and see specialists they might have different opinions yeah. and all this sort of stuff so you just yeah. have to listen to it and so yeah that's the that's the long answer but i um i'm running north to south of italy and a couple of days you've had an injury so the plan is to still complete the challenge of course because that's the whole point of endurance just get to the finish line yep. um and so i'm going to rest up for another couple of days and then hopefully try running again um and if it's still painful if it's still causing me too much trouble um then i will stop a little bit longer um and i will make up the marathon distances by running double marathons um every day towards the end of the journey when I'm, when my leg is properly healed. Um, so that's the plan. Okay. Um, let's face it, we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> it's... You know, the, this kind of injury, sometimes you're told it can take three, four, five, or maybe six months to heal. Um, but I've, I've had fractures before running, um, and I've, I've healed in a matter of weeks. And so um, we're going to give it a full week off and then run uh, probably on Monday. That's the plan. Um, fingers crossed. Okay, cool. I, I, I love how... I love I love how laid back you are. So your quotes there, it's a bit of a jolly. Yeah, you've just done 33 marathons in 33 days. Yeah, a bit of a jolly. And, um... uh, yeah, well, I think that to me, you know, if I'm going to go and run at like 130 miles or something, then that is a brutal run. Hmm. But the, the beauty I love about running is people always say to me, oh, how do you do it? How do you do it? Well, I just run really slowly. Um, I, you know, I'll stop and have a drink every now and then. I'll, I'll have my lunch halfway through. I mean, I'm not stopping for a decent period of time. I'm only stopping for five minutes or so. Yeah. Um, but I take it easy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in this sport because I love running. I'm not in it to, to you know, to ruin myself um, despite the injury. You know, it's just a bit of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. But they, I mean, you you don't you don't make it easy for yourself. I mean, like I say, I've I've been following along, but just just describe day one of this current challenge to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, day one. Um, I don't make it easy for myself, but honestly, that wasn't by design. Um, I I had a couple of friends in Switzerland, and on our way from the UK to Italy, we stopped off, and I spoke with them, and they're they're really good, much better runners than me. And they they said, oh, you know, it's going to be quite difficult to get to the most northerly point of Italy. Um, it's a place. I can't pronounce, but it's, it's in the mountains. I knew it was in the mountains. Yeah. Um, what I didn't anticipate was quite how steep and quite how far away from any main road it was going to be. So, as you saw from, from day one, it took me a good half a marathon just to get to that most northerly point. Yeah. Um, and it was hilly. It was right out there. And I was scrambling over these huge rocks. And I, I got to the, the most northerly point, and there was a, it was just a sheer cliff. So I got as far as I could um, and then turned around and, and came back. But you know, doing I think in that first week we were doing three, four, five thousand feet of elevation every day. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know if I was sustainable or not, but um, it, I just kept going. And then we had things like Stelgo Pass, which is this beautiful mountain pass in the mountains, but it was hilly. That was a nine thousand uh, nine thousand feet climbing day um, in the snow, minus seven in the van with ice on the inside of the windows. Um, but we had honestly that's some of the best bits of the journey so far. Yeah. Um, 
you know, because I love that misadventure. That's the whole point. You know, if if you know, yeah. if I didn't have Nikki in the van and the, and the dog, I would probably just be running on my own and, and Vivi camping and that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. And it would be far more brutal. So it's quite nice to have a bit of the balance between it being tough and then it, you know, I'm currently sitting on the on the on the roof of a hotel here waiting for an injury to heal. So I feel like I'm I'm, I'm kind of uh, doffing at the moment. But this is what it was like in that first week. <laughs> I, 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 like I say, I've been following along on your on your Instagram feed, and that some of your day two pictures, the Dolomites are absolutely yeah. stunning. Some of the places you've seen. Yeah, that's that's the that's the idea, you know. Uh, lots of lots of people um, ask me about my legacy and what I want to leave behind with this sort of stuff, and it's exactly that. I I want to be able to get to my deathbed having hopefully inspired some people and done some good, but ultimately just enjoy every day. Um, you know, life's yeah. too short to, to, to wish away everything, and a lot of people postpone all of their kind of hopes and dreams until their retirement, or maybe let's do that next year, or, or we'll save up for a few years and let's do that. And that's fine, and that's fair enough, but there are opportunities out there that you can do sooner rather than later. I had a, a decent job, and I left it behind to, to do some running because it was it get me outside a lot. Um, I found this hor- horrendous stat, actually, that, um, that 90% of, of British people... Uh, sorry, the, the British people spend 90% of their life, their waking life, yep. indoors. That's yeah, that's shocking, right? isn't Indoor. it? Exactly. And I mean, uh, yes, okay, we need to be indoors to sleep because it's safe and we need to be indoors to work sometimes. But actually, I, I kind of I thought, you know what, I'm going to try and, uh, and change that a little bit and be outside as much as possible um, because this is where this is where the fun happens, you know? Um, so, yeah, yeah it's, that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah, definitely. So you, like I say, I've I've followed along with some of the things you've been up to. So for for those who for those who who haven't followed along before that are listening, so your prior challenge was a little bit of a big one, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll, I'll give you a bit of a uh, bit of background on that. So um, yes, so I, as of November the eleventh uh, last year. I crossed the finish line of what was a, a two-year journey to become the first person to run a marathon in every country in the world. Um, and that was uh, an undertaking. It was fantastic. It was horrendously difficult at times. It was stressful. Um, it was it was tear-jerking at opportunities because there were so many places that I was visiting that I had no idea what I was, what I was getting myself into. Um, if we re- rewind the clock two years before I, I even started that trip, that was when the whole thing sparked. Yeah. Um, I was running... Uh, I was running lots of different ultra marathons all over the place, and I was in the, the Sahara Desert running the, the infamous marathon de Sahara race. And I met yeah. uh, many people will know. I met this this guy called Kevin Weber, who's a great runner in his own right, um, and he had terminal prostate cancer. And yeah. he just dropped this horrendous news on me, and he said, "You know what? Um, you know, life's too short. You need to." And it, it really gave me some home truths. And at that point, I was on the cusp of wanting to change my life a bit more and do something a little bit more adventurous rather than just enter races. Yeah. Um, and and he was the the brilliant push I needed over that over that cliff of adventure and 
Uh, and I, I had that conversation with him and then a few weeks later got back and, and decided I wanted to do something to raise some money for the charity Prostate Cancer UK. Um, but I also wanted to do something that was living by his teachings, which is to you know not, not wait for something horrendous to happen before you wake up and realise how lucky we are. Um, and you know, to, to follow what you want to do. And I thought, well, I love taking pictures. I love meeting people. I love travelling. I love running. Um, let's go and, and travel and try and work out a way in which we can do this epic trip and you know, I realised, I was so surprised actually that nobody had run a marathon in every country in the world. I'm not. Um, <laughs> and, well, exactly. And that is, that is a, often, a, often the response. And, and I now know why. Um, because it is so clear and difficult. The, uh, the amount of logistics that we're Oh, I can't even far, begin to yeah. imagine how difficult that was. It was, I, I thought it was going to be difficult when planning it. Um, I didn't even know how many countries there were at the beginning. So that was, you know, stepping stone number one. Yeah. I understand that and then ascertain that. And then, um, you know, there's countries that, that came out and they're on this piece of paper that, you know, you, you go and find your initial list and then you investigate it further. And there's countries that I couldn't pronounce. I didn't, never even heard of them. Didn't even know where they were. Um, yeah. And then you start to learn more and more and more. And now I can pretty much name all the countries, I don't know, all the cities, all the capitals, all the political areas, and it, it was just a huge education for me. Um, and then yeah. you, you, know, you go through war zones, you go through areas of, of poverty, um, and extreme, de- extreme deprivation, and, and, and I, learned, I learned a lot about uh, various different elements of, of travelling and, and endurance, and a lot about myself, um, and it was a trip of a lifetime, um, and yeah. I'm very, very grateful to have done it. You'd you'd be a, you'd be a great team partner in the pub quiz for those geography questions, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would be a very good team partner for the geography bit, but nothing else. That's what my friends, you know, they'll I'll, I'll be there for the geography bit, and nothing else. Wow. So, so that and just go. I'm I'm still I'm still thinking about the the planning of that. But just before we go there, you mentioned you're in the MDS, and I've heard I've heard other interviews of yours. You said that you've got away with injuries in your life, and I know that's not that's not the case in every challenge you've been on. So, what happened in the MDS? Because I'm interested in that as well. Yeah, I had uh, I had a little bit of a, a problem in the, in, the, in the MDS. To be honest, I went into the MDS far too confident, and and I didn't give it the respect that it deserves. That's the honest truth. And okay. I went into it hoping that I was going to finish top 20. I had trained what I thought to be huge amounts. Mm-hmm. And I did day one and day two, and I felt pretty strong. And I was you know, not rushing it too much. I had brilliant tent mates, Kevin being one of them. Um, and it was this amazing experience. But you're absolutely right. I've got away with a lot of injuries, but not in the MDS. Okay. Um I ended up not finishing the top 20. I ended up finishing, I think it was 338, which wasn't, you know, it wasn't horrendous, but I'm pretty pleased with it really considering what happened. And Mm -hmm. on the, on the fourth day, the long day, about half past one in the morning, um, I had loads of blisters on my feet and, and I was hobbling out of this, this, uh, this medic tent, having had blisters and bits popped and feeling pretty sorry for myself and not doing very well. Um, and, and my my ankle, my calcaneum, which is like an impact fracture if you were to fall off a building uh, feet first, yeah. um, I just probably overtrained. Maybe I didn't have the right bone density or something. Um, and my calcaneum uh, uh, fractured and broke. Um, okay. And I still had a good 40 miles left of the race to, to run, well, hobble. Um, and yeah. I was... Uh, I was told I would be taken out of the race because, you know, I couldn't continue. Unfortunately, some very nice French medics um, 
they found me some crutches. Uh, the only crutch, the actually only pair of crutches in the medic tent of all these seventy doctors that were volunteering for the race. Right. Um, and and I thought, well, obviously you wouldn't have crutches because it's a desert; they're going to be useless. Um, and they were pretty useless, but they managed to keep me upright, and I fortunately managed to persuade them to, to let me carry on. And I kind of escaped the orthopedic surgeon there that was assessing me and wanting to write me off. And I hobbled back to my tent with these crutches and uh, and completed the last last few days of the of the of the race on crutches um so 40 miles with a broken ankle um i didn't think was possible but with the help of um strong uh strong painkillers tramadol (laughs) any any painkillers i could find i I got myself to the end but honestly that was that was brutal so i think you're absolutely right that was the last time i had a a real horrible injury during a during a trip so so you were you were off your head on (laughs) painkillers i'm just picturing this on crutches in the desert so was it i'm i'm assu- so i haven't done mds so i'm assuming you the dunes were involved in the in the part that you were right were they yeah yeah so yeah running up or i say running hobbling slash crawling up big big sand dunes i mean some of these sand dunes are, are bigger than buildings huge huge sand dunes yeah um and obviously it's very hot um and so you can't escape the sun. And with a broken ankle, I was, you know, I was absolutely in the hurt locker. I was in, in a lot of pain. And a very good friend of mine called Chris, um, he was there, who I met there actually, and he's was, he was now a good friend of mine. He uh, he was with me, and all he he put up with was just my cursing and screaming. And I was honestly, I was such a rubbish. <laughs> looking back I was this brilliant oh I'm just going to get through it there's no pain but I was in a lot of pain but I just did not want to give up because that's, I went into the race knowing that it was going to be difficult yeah. um, you know, people say it's one of the hardest races in the world and so I thought well whatever I do I've got to finish um, and so when that happened I thought well I don't have a choice even if I, even if I crawl um, I will fight people off me to get me there so no I mean sand dunes sand dunes are, are half of the problem it's just the, the escaping the heat you just want to you want to find as much shade as you can and there just isn't any yeah I mean I've had a couple of operations and the and just pottering around the house after you know you've had a knee up or something, your your shoulders, your hand, your hands get blistered like your feet do on crutches. Oh, I say so you're going through the desert yeah. on crutches. It's yeah, so so many blisters on uh, on my on, on crutches um, oh. on my on my hands. Um, I actually when you shake the um, Patrick Bauer, the, the the founder of the race, yeah. um, you shake his hand at the end of the race and he gives you your medal uh, when you cross the finish line, and he was. Horrified, um, horrified that you hurt my hands by shaking them because I had so many blisters. So no, it was um, it was one of those moments though. As soon as you've had, uh, as soon as you've had one of those moments of uh, that just feels like rock bottom, you know that there's going to be worse situations. But it just gives you tremendous um, ability for the future. Like I can't state that enough. Yeah. Um, there's so many people focus on the negatives, but right now, you know. Okay, I've, I'm, I'm injured, but actually the positives are I'm going to finish it, and it's going to be more of a challenge, which is kind of cool. You know, yeah. it's, it's a good story to tell. Yeah. Um, uh, so you know, there's always positives. So, so was this? So you said that you ran this with with Kevin Weber. So is that was that before you and him had had your chat that you said you know kind of changed your perspective on things, or or was that it, after? It was during. It was during. Yeah. So um, so Kev was. Uh, I think it was day, I can't remember what day it was, during the middle of the race, 
Um, I mean, he, we were sharing a tent together, so obviously you have lots of conversations with each other throughout in, in the evenings and, uh, and even on the plane beheadhand. But you know he and I had a proper kind of heart to heart during the race and, and that was yeah, it was during the race that we, we both had them. Okay, so was that I mean, was that before yeah. you broke your ankle then, or was it during while you were on the crutches? Or I'm I'm just trying to understand where your motivation comes from because it would have been it would have been easy for you, and it would have been completely acceptable for you to say, "Well, I'm not, I'm I'm done." So, no, true, yeah. true. I, I I think honestly, I don't know. I think I have a lot of stubbornness in there. So yeah. the conversation I had with Kev was before my ankle. Um, before my ankle happened, okay. I think there was definitely, definitely some of uh, some of those some of those things that Kev was saying to me were helpful. But there's also there was a, a double amputee in the race um, that yep. I think made it to day four because his you know, his, his stumps were so. But he was an absolutely brilliant guy, you know. And, and when you have the after after event um, speeches and awards at the, at the hotel once you finish, um, everybody was in tears, and it was um, such an emotional emotional thing. Um, but my perspective on stuff similar to now, and I hope always, is that there's always somebody that's worse off. And yeah. having now seen the world, that opinion has been absolutely amplified because there's, you know, we talk about how many people coronavirus is killing now, mm-hmm. and it's horrendous, don't get me wrong, but there's, there's 5 million, sorry, 2 million children under the age of 5 every year dying from starvation because they haven't got enough food around the world. Two yeah. million children under five. And we have the antidote for that. We don't have to have some special vaccine. It's food, and we have enough of it to go around. Mm. Um, and so when you think about that sort of stuff and the amount of people in our daily lives that suffer with, with cancer, with uh, disability, um, with inequality, and actually, you know what, just get on with it. Um, and as everybody knows in the running community, kind of pain is temporary and, and pride is forever and yes. the... the getting to the finish line is, is what you crave so um i think i was just stubborn and i was also high on high on uh, <laughs> and, uh and adrenaline <laughs> which, which always helps <laughs> wow okay so, so, you, so you did mds and then and then it was after that that you decided that you were going to do your you're going to run in every country a marathon yeah yeah that was yeah it was a it was a real pivotal moment um and I didn't. I actually didn't decide I was just going to go run a marathon in every country. I, I, I kind of googled all sorts of things. I wanted to do a trip involving a good portion of the world. Maybe some of the. I, I looked at doing things in the in the polar caps. I looked at doing some mountain running, um, uh, and I wanted to raise quite a bit of money for prostate cancer. We're trying to raise a quarter of a million pounds. Yeah. And I wasn't this this name of any, but I'm still not. Anybody really knows. And so I, I needed something that was going to be a little bit longer in time in order to raise the awareness and, and have the amount of time. So it was quite a practical approach. I'm a very practical person. Yeah. So I had to I had to think of something that was going to be big enough and uh, in terms of duration long enough to to um, to capture the attention of people and hopefully spread this message. Yeah. And uh, it actually worked really well because there was lots of opportunities around the world that I was. You know, we did uh, something like 140 um, live TV interviews in 140 different countries, and I was talking about prostate cancer, and I felt like what I set out to do, which was to spread the awareness and raise the cash, was actually working. You know, I was having emails from people saying, oh, I've just gone and got myself checked, and I actually have prostate cancer. And so that was, wow. you know, it was, yeah. it was incredibly powerful. And yes. so, um, yeah, I, I, I decided to do that after meeting Kevin and um, having, you know, we met. Uh, shortly before I left for the trip, and um, you know his diagnosis, by the way, was was to potentially only live 
for as little as two years and it took me two years to plan it and so what was amazing is that not only was he there to see me off at the beginning but he was also there hand in hand crossing the finish line with me in Athens and he was running a marathon with me five years and four days after he was told he was only going to live for for two more years that's brilliant Um, and that's yeah. the power of one man's mind just to go, you know what, I'm not giving up. And I've had very good family friends. My, my godfather as well um, uh, died of, 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 uh, of cancer, not prostate cancer, died of cancer. Yeah. I and mean, he, he, his attitude was very much the opposite of Kev's. And I wish it hadn't been. It was one of giving up. And seeing Kev and so many others struggle through this sort of stuff, you know, you ask about what gets you through things. And it, it's so easy now. You know, you just think of that. Yeah, it's... it's, it's um... I I I I struggle talking about this one as well. I, I have a friend. I lost a friend last year, school friend, yeah. um, cancer, and thirty seven. He was thirty seven. Three children. Um, you know, one one's at, one's only eighteen months old. But he. Um, oh my gosh. But he was. You you'd have never known that he yeah. was, that he was unwell. He he was. Yeah. I mean, when we were young, he was the life and soul of the party. He was the Joker. He was. And he was exactly that, you know, until and uh, until he passed yeah. away. It's it's and incredible, really. It's so it's it's so powerful that everybody, mm. and I believe this very strongly, everybody has somebody in their life just like you do. Yeah. That, that that you know, you you will think of and without without even hesitating, you instantly kind of you, your hairs on the back of your neck go up. You start to kind of well up a little bit. It makes you so instantly emotional. And I think that's what the impact was with with Kevin is that. It was so powerful that I feel like I've, I've been reborn, and he says the same. It's because he's a bit of his diagnosis. He's almost given, been given a second chance at life, and I hope that. I mean, many of your your listeners are obviously runners, and they're already already doing what they love. I hope, um, but we also have the opportunity to go that a little bit further. And you know, whether it's um, Harry and Meghan's getting on TV and telling people to vote, which is in the corniest way possible, is the you know, our our voice is being used to yeah. for good. We have that opportunity to do it ourselves. You know, whether it's for our children or for ourselves or for our parents or for our friends, do something that is for you. You know, just go and you know, what do I want to do before I before I pop my clocks? Before before my time is up, what do I want to do? And go and do it. Um, and we all have the ability. And, and that's the what I've learned from seeing so many areas of poverty around the world is so many people do not have that freedom. You know, they are living hand to mouth. They are hunting for food and water uh to live and we don't we take that for granted so everything else is a bonus and so let's let's just try and use all of our time yeah um, so i'm i feel very lucky to have had that message from kevin and, and now living in a in a genuinely more um i suppose empowered way yeah nice not, not like your words thank you Nick. i'll I tell you what else i like as well because i know you've mentioned a few already is your stats on your website there's lots of them. Who was keeping tally of all these? Because <laughs> it's yeah, um, it was a good combination of people. So I had a good tally of um, well, it was very easy to keep track of flights. Um, passports were the visa guys. A company called Universal Visas in the UK, yeah. really small company, really brilliant people. Um, they kept kept all of that. My dad was incredibly pivotal in uh, in the flights. His sole responsibility, which was pushed upon him, by the way, rather than volunteer, was to, to, to get me from A to B to C to D to E, to get me from one country to the next all the way to the finish. Yeah. Um, and 
you know, we originally planned that I wanted to, that it was going to take around, there's 196 countries, and we thought it was going to take around 220 flights yep. to get me to each one, run a marathon, and then move on. It was about three a week. Yeah. Um, and with a, with a few bits in there that went a little bit wrong, and ultimately it ended up with not 220 flights, but 455 flights. And what? that shows you how much went wrong. And, 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 yeah, so to, to answer your question of um, who, who kept tally of all of them, there was a little bit of help from from Strava and uh, and Garmin and Sunter and all the gadgets I was wearing to keep track of steps and calories and stuff, but um, yeah. most of it was just uh, was writing stuff down as we went. Yeah, brilliant. So so for anyone listening, have, have a look at Nick's website, nickbutter.com, and under his running the world, there's, there's stats and... It's like I could talk to you about everyone. Twenty-two marathons with food poisoning. <laughs> what? So, so you were so you were doing three three a week, was it for ninety-six weeks? It says on your website. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Wow. Okay. And and like twenty. There's a few weeks in there that was only only one or two because of flights and stuff. But yeah, it was roughly three a week. Yeah. Brilliant. I and I I don't want to keep going on about the planning, but I I like some like with a uk passport some countries i imagine it's a breeze to get into but then others i'd imagine that some are really well some you just yeah really difficult to get into oh, almost, almost impossible yeah you've got yeah. we um and i put this in the in the in the book actually we had to um tra- use a traffic light system on all of the countries so we got all of the countries on a spreadsheet and then we consulted with um a number of security people about the safety of the countries so we traffic lighted you know amber red and, and green for the, the safety of the countries and then we also put amber red and green for different uh the accessibility of the countries yeah. um, and how and how easy it was to access and, and then also get out of the country so yeah. you have places like france very easy to get into yeah um i mean this is pre-covid remember yeah um and then uh you then have countries like um let's say America, which we can go to, but you have to go through a number of different forms and, and, and make sure that you've got your visas and your your your, your, your sort of your visas on but it's not impossible. It's not difficult, you just gotta get it done. Yeah. And then you get the next level of the unknown areas, which are the countries that you have to have visas visas on arrival. I think there's about sixty percent of my visas were visas on arrival, which okay. means that you don't really know what's gonna happen until you get there and you don't know how much they're gonna cost or if they're gonna try and extort you, which happens a lot. Um, and then you have the other end of the spectrum, which is places like Libya, Syria, Iran, um, Bhutan, where they have all sorts of special rules about um, whether or not you have certain medical certificates, you need an invite from the, the king or the prince or the, the palace. Um, wow. And then you also need, uh, you, some, some of them just simply refused my visas. There was a good couple of dozen places that just refused my visas for, for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, but the hardest part of all of it wasn't actually the difficulty of accessing the visas. It was orchestrating them whilst mid-trip because you can't just get all the visas before you leave you have yeah. to do it during because they're only valid some of them are only valid for 24 hours um and so yeah organizing organizing that and then getting my passport in time to then use it and then get out and then get another passport for another place um was 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 difficult yeah we got through uh, we got through nine passports wow I t- yeah so you i'm just trying to imagine that so you each week you're running three marathons you're traveling between each of them <laughs> And organize. So, how many how many people did you have helping you? You mentioned you've pushed it on your dad a bit, but you. Yeah, I hope you had more help than that. Yeah, my mum and dad were brilliant. No, I had the first member of the team really was um, uh, 
was my assistant, uh, which right at the beginning planning days uh, was uh, a girl called Ali. Yeah. And then Ali then uh, moved that role on to another lady called Carla, and they managed my kind of assistant, so my diary and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then towards the end, um, I actually met a guy uh, four or five years prior to the trip. In we were running the Silverstone Marathon together, um, and his name uh, was Beton. And we were chatting. It was rainy, rainy day. We were standing in the hangar of uh, in, in Silverstone Mar- Half Marathon. Yeah. And um, and he said, uh, "Oh, I'm, I'm actually from Kosovo. If you ever come to Kosovo." And at the time, I thought, "Well, that's unlikely, but yeah, sure, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll take your details. And um, and if, if I come to Kosovo, then I'll I'll come running with you." Um, and we didn't say a word to each other uh, after that. We just, you know, he was following me on uh, on, on social media. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, you know, I completely forgot about the occasion. And then five years after meeting him, he was there waiting for me in the airport in Kosovo, having got in touch with Carla at the time, saying, no. I want to help Nick. And go one step further, I later then found out that Beton uh, used to work for the UN, for the United Nations, and had huge contacts everywhere, namely in Afghanistan, and used to work in Afghanistan in the embassies okay. and in the, uh, in the compounds. And we were struggling to get access to the Afghanistan uh, United Nations uh, base, and we needed some contacts there that were going to help us and keep me safe for running in, in, in Kabul. Yeah. Um, and long story short, I then randomly out of the blue asked him if he wanted to become a member of the team and to uh, take over from Carla who was stepping down as, as my assistant because it's a long period of time this is two years you know this is a long long, long stressful period for everybody involved yeah um, and amazingly this guy I met five years ago Silverstone then became my my, my assistant for the journey um, and he was absolutely paramount in getting all of uh, all of the accesses we did and he had contacts everywhere so it was Again, the power of just having a nice conversation with somebody for a couple of minutes was was pretty special. Amazing. To answer your your question, we had about, it ranged from about five, maybe eight people, all the way up to 19 people at one point. to in, my, in the team, various you know, psychologists, nutritionists, um, performance managers, coaches, um, but the core team was was probably about five to eight uh, eight people that, that made the trip happen. Amazing. That's that's amazing. So he so he had actually you'd met him, you'd followed each other on social media. He he had yeah. saw that you were doing the challenge yeah. and got in touch to support that leg of it, which has then evolved yeah. into you working together. Yeah, wow. it's, it's honestly, there's, there's, there's a lot of people that don't like, that, or that cringe at people that speak to people on a, on a plane or a train when you saw a bus, you know, and you just randomly say, hello, how are you, and you get chatting. Yeah. Um, but I'm a big advocate for it because most of my friends and contacts are people that I've just randomly spoken to. Um, another classic example of that is this brilliant guy called Chris who I met um uh, on social media, he was a brilliant photographer, and I said, "Look, I need a photographer to come out and take some pictures of me in the pool. Yeah. Um, will, you, will you come out and, and get some photos in the pool? Because um, you know we've got some photographers coming out in different countries, but we need ones in the pool." And he, he was a he was pretty well versed at photographing the mountains. Um, anyway, long story short, we had a brilliant time in the mountains. He took some video footage. He turned out to be this brilliant director. Had a, a production company based in Fox Studios in Sydney, um, and he is now. In the finishing stages of putting my documentary together with Netflix. Wow! So, Brilliant. Yeah, the journey. Uh, exactly. It's just Brilliant. story after story after story. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, I'm I'm looking at these stats and what because I I find that with the running community that it, it's it's close, isn't it? And there's some very generous people. I'm, I'm sure you've got more stories of people taking yeah. you in and helping you out. But you've also got a few on here 
three marathons with a kidney infection, two muggins, one dog bite. Um, <laughs> I bet you there was some <laughs> traveling. It's inevitable, really. That were there some hairy moments? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. There was there was lots of moments that happened that were um, yeah pretty hairy, pretty scary, um, and sometimes genuinely fearful of if I was going to get through to the end of the day. There was all sorts of situations, whether it be close encounters with animals or just the natural elements you know i was running through hong kong and um there's these huge thunderstorms and there was claps of lightning more or less every other step um and it was such a big storm there was nobody outside and i really started to think hang on a minute i'm running for four or five hours the lightning's going off every two minutes like i, I must it's going to be dangerous yeah. but it was, you know i was absolutely fine of course um but you do have those moments where you don't feel fine and there was that stress actually which underlined the whole uh, was underlined the whole trip because I was I was worried and I had to be conscious of making sure that I wasn't getting injured or getting myself into silly situations. Um, and when things happened like they did in Nigeria, when I was uh, in Lagos in the capital and I was mugged at knife point and at gunpoint, um, and uh, I, it was it was a pretty violent, horrible thing to have happened. Yeah. And yet I then realised they still had two thirds of of other African countries still to run that were similar in terms of uh, political instability. And I thought, gosh, this is, you know, have I just got away with it then? How many times can I continue getting away with it? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you then I was crossing uh, the, t- the, 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 the two closest capital cities in the world, um, Kinshasa and Brazzaville, the two capitals of the Congo countries, yeah. um, and separated by the Congolese River. Um, and my mum messaged me in the in the morning and said, you know, you you got to be careful going over that river. And sent me an article of a, a, few, a few boats that had boats of people that have drowned in the river. It's only a small river. Um, and I thought, right, okay, well, you know, I, I don't have another way of getting across. <laughs> yeah. I've got to take the boat. And you know, it's those moments where you think, am I doing something a little bit silly? And because I was on my own traveling for the majority of the trip, you know, I, I mentioned my team; they were none of them were with me. Um, and okay. so. By you know, traveling on my own, you have to rely on your own own, own decision making. And when you're tired and, and knackered and desperate, sometimes you, you don't always make the right decisions. Yeah, I I mean I could dig all day about this trip. It's um, <laughs> some amazing stories. But where where does um did did you have this kind of appetite for challenges when you were children? Now you spoke about the MDS and and Kevin, but yeah. did, we we you know were you very sporty as a, as a kid? Yeah. Uh, my parents both skied and um, 
skiing became my kind of lifeblood. I wanted to be a, an Olympic skier. I wanted to, to to ski in the Olympics, and I wanted to represent my country. And ultimately, long story short, is that I wasn't quite good enough. I had a couple of injuries, and I also didn't put enough time and attention into it. And I was actually getting too old by the time that I realised I was loving it. You know, I was too old at you know, maybe peak skiing when you're 22 maybe yeah. um, and so you know it was a young man's game and, and I then had the voice of my dad telling me to get a real job um, <laughs> uh, rather than just be a, a skier but I still had sport in my you know I still wanted to do sport and having you know, being British and not having snow easily around I guess running was the easy equivalent and I do quite like I, I, I say I quite like running I love running because it is so simple you know it's just a pair of trainers or you don't even have to have trainers really um, uh, just one foot in front of the other and you don't need anything else other than a, a bit of a, a strong mind yeah yeah exactly um so you, you mentioned that you finished that you you're um around the world marathons in, in athens yes that's quite athens. quite 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 a good choice <laughs> yeah we, it wasn't honestly we weren't we weren't actually aiming for Athens at the beginning. We were thought we were going to finish in July, and then things got which obviously Athens is in November, and we got a little bit delayed. And then we realised that we had an opportunity to finish in Athens in November, uh, and we thought, right, well, let's go for that date. Um, and Athens being Athens, the birthplace of marathons, you couldn't, you know, you can't not finish there really in hindsight. Yeah. Um, and so we we went for that date, and then as the weeks went on, we thought, mm, are we going to make that? Is that and before long, we had hundreds of people coming out and paid flights to, and hotels to come and see me at the finish. Um, and so the pressure was mounting to, to get there for the end, but fortunately we made it. Wow, okay, yeah, so people are booking, what, a couple of months before, and you've still got yeah. X amount of marathons to run, which could, any yeah, kind of problems of could happen. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> and we had a lot of war zones at the end, and we really didn't know how close it was going to come. And I mean, I've said it a few times in interviews, but there were a few key moments in those past, in the last few weeks of the trip, um, like week 93, week 94, two weeks before the end, um, yeah. where we really didn't think we were going to finish because I was, you know, I was banned from certain countries, visas weren't allowed, um, uh, and what with the, the politics of, global politics and not being allowed if, if from one country to another if you've been somewhere else. Yes. Um, that was starting to become a problem towards the end of the trip, so we had to be quite savvy with that. And fortunately, we made it. But yeah, the the whole the whole detail of that debacle is in the is in the book. Yeah, I was going to say, is that all detailed in the book? Because that must have been very tricky to navigate. It, yeah, it was very tricky, and it's also actually quite difficult to write about because there's so much that went on. I think I could write a book just about the finish day, let yeah. alone you know the other six hundred. Was it 93 other days of the trip? Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I had a, I had a word count limit with the, with the publishers Penguin, and they said, well, you can write. We ideally want about 100,000 words, but you can go over if you want 120,000. And I, I think I submitted just, just a little over 300,000. Right. Um, <laughs> and so they, they had a lot of work to do to edit it and, and cut it all back. So um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a big book still. Yeah, great. And, and just remind me when that comes out. Um, that comes out exactly a year from the finish line. Um, yeah. So it's the 11th of November this year. So it's really not that far away, about a month away. It will be, I mean, it's on pre-order now on Amazon um, and Waterstones and all sorts of uh, different stores, but it will be on the shelves um, and in people's homes if they've already pre-ordered it by the uh, 11th of November. Brilliant, brilliant. Wow. I look forward to that. Um, 
So, so you are currently then. T- tell me where. Describe to me where you are. I am uh, on a hotel rooftop, surrounded by some kind of grassy reeds and a lovely jacuzzi overlooking the city of Bologna um, uh-huh. in yeah, north. Well, I suppose northern Italy. Um, we've yeah, we've got another. I think it's something like sixty something days until Christmas. Yeah. Um, so we've got a few more days to recover here. Um, heal up a little bit and then try running again and then run a marathon every day for as long as I can and then do a double, a few double marathons, probably five or six double marathons towards the end of the run um, and then reach Sicily for Christmas and then have a, a few days in a nice place in, in Sicily. Very I nice. That's the, that's the plan, yeah. Very nice. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I love how you just drop in some double marathons towards the end, wouldn't you? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so we, I actually on the UK lunch hour last night, I put out that we were going to interview today, and um, we've had half a dozen or so questions. I'm going to quickly fire at you before, okay. but one of them from from Jill Duds, uh, she asked, "What are you most looking forward to doing on day 101?" <laughs> 101. Yeah. I am. Um, I think what well, is Christmas dinner? Day 101 is Christmas Day. Oh right. Um, okay. And so, unfortunately, though Christmas dinner. It won't be a British Christmas dinner because we're obviously a Sicily, so yeah. I think it's going to resemble lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> Which is better than nothing, but no, I, I, it's strange really because yeah, I don't know what I'm going to feel like on that day. I hope I'm just going to be able to sit like I am now, actually, just and, and relax and enjoy the day. But um, yeah, food is food is going to be the top of my list. Food. Well, food got mentioned in another question. Somebody asked, "How are you?" Um, what are you eating each night? And I, I suppose that came back into one of my one of my thoughts about planning, but um. You know, yeah. do you know where you're ending up each each night on this on this current um, challenge? Do you? On is this it? Yeah. No, we had so we got um I put a uh, hundred rows of a spreadsheet together, and I you know twenty six point two miles in each day, and yeah. then you roughly have a look at the map, and I think we had about something like fifteen points, fifteen days where we knew almost like um like stages or milestones that we knew we had to reach in order to to get to the end. Yeah. Um, but Italy in, in its length is only about a thousand miles. Um. And so I'm obviously doing 2,600. So we, we knew we were zigzagging. We yep. wanted to do all of the good bits. And so rather than just run straight down the middle quickly. Um, so we, we had a rough idea. But it's quite nice because if I get better again now, here London, and we were up to Pisa, for example, which is our next big stop on the West Coast, um, I'm, I'm going to be able to, to have a good two or three days running around Pisa, you know, a marathon a day and having somewhere as a base. Yes. Um, but yeah. in terms of food... Obviously, pizza and pasta is high up there, um, but I'm, I'm learning more and more uh, that I'm going to need some, some proper nutrition. Uh, teamed up with uh, with Morton for some, some nutrition and also Brazilian Nutrition. Yep. They do really good. Um, they have a, an Energize and Rebuild product, which is uh, a, a product to give you a bit of energy in the morning, but also make sure your, your legs are repairing so there's some fats and some protein in there. Um, but they also do another sachet for the evening where I don't want the energy, but I need to rebuild. And so it's, they have lots of uh, calming supplements in there so I can sleep well. Yeah. Um, so I rely, I would say I rely about 40% of my intake on, on those kind of decent sports supplements. And the other is just, uh, it, frankly, just junk, whatever I could get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was one of the questions from Samantha, actually. What's your recovery and recharge routine? So you get up the next day and do another marathon. So that kind of fits in there, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think the only other thing I do is um, uh, 
uh, they have this tool called the side kick tool, which is um, it's like a really heavy metal, uh, it's a scraping device for muscles. Yeah. Um, and any knots or anything that gets a little bit tight, which I don't often have a lot of them because I'm running so slowly, um, but um, anything that does get a bit tight, I just kind of massage that, massage that out. And the only thing that I think shocks people with my routine is that I go to bed at 7 p.m. most nights. Yeah. Um, because I'm up at 5, um, and I mean, that's if we stick to the schedule. I, you know, I, sleep is so underrated in sport, and I'm, I'm a big advocate for the more sleep you get, the better. Yeah. Um, so, so that's yeah that's a big one yeah early nights it is um at iron toffee now this is uh dave he's a bit left field he wants to know if you've seen the duck song on youtube <laughs> nothing to do with your challenge <laughs> i haven't seen that no 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 me i'll ask him to uh i'll ask him to tweet it to you um, yeah, to me, <laughs> and uh we had a couple of people asking how many pairs of running shoes to go through in that kind of challenge I mean, just go so, through running the world, actually. Do you know that one? Yeah, I do know that one. The answer, I got through only, it's not as many as you think, 22 pairs. Um, but of, of those 22, I actually only wore uh, 15 out to the point that they were not like, getting hobbles in, yeah. uh, which I know is, is what you're supposed to do. Um, but, um, you yeah, know, having access to the right shoes and stuff. So I, I had 15 pairs, but the remainder, I think seven or eight of those pairs, of the 22 pairs, were either stolen or lost. Um, or like soaked because like you know, put them on a boat somewhere and they just got drenched. I yeah. did actually have, which is quite funny. And I talk about this in my in my theatre tour that's that's um, that's starting again next year. Yeah. Is um is I had two pairs of my shoes that were eaten by pigs. <laughs> two completely separate countries. Um, but they uh, I left my shoes outside to dry. It was one in, once was in the Caribbean and once was in um, Africa. And uh, I yeah the the wild pigs just came and ate my shoes. They obviously obviously thought it was some form of cheese. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I lost a couple of pairs to uh, to some pigs. <laughs> Brilliant. But, the, answer, the answer to how many trainers I get through this trip is I don't know yet, um, but generally speaking, I'm changing them every, like, two weeks. Yeah. Because, uh, I, I mean, I've learned from my shit injury, I'm going to need to change them a little bit more often. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean about wearing them out, though. I, I like my running shoes when they're worn. They feel, it's like they moulded to your feet, isn't it? It's they, not, yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly. They're quite difficult to let go of, and you know, yeah. it's apprehensive to get a new pair on. Yeah. Cool. Nick, just remind us where people can follow you. And I'd encourage people to follow you on Instagram. I enjoy your photography and you put all sorts of stats up Thanks. each day and that, don't you, as well? It's um, yeah. it's, 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 it's yeah, good to yeah. follow, but just remind us. Thanks. Yeah, we have all sorts of, yeah, we have all sorts of stats, my body fat and what I'm, how, how I'm struggling, what I'm doing. Yeah. But yeah, the, the best way to follow me is uh, on Instagram, which is um, Nick Butter Run. Yep. Nick Butter Run. Um, or the website, which is nickbutter.com, like you said, has all of the links from past stuff, future stuff, um, the book. Um, and if you just Google Nick Butter or Running the World, you'll see uh, you'll see all of the stuff that we're up to. Um, and I will just plug the, the, the theatre tour next year, which has obviously been postponed for this year. And if anybody wants to come and hear some stories firsthand uh, in a, in a theatre, it's a couple of hours, two and a half hour sets where uh, I show some videos and photos and some stories which, uh, which I've not told yet. Um, and the, yeah, the final one is Strava, of course. Yeah. Um, 
So Strava, um, on Strava, my name is Nick Butter Running World, um, and you can see all of my, my slow plodding runs and where I am and, and what we're up to. Um, and on the website is the tracker, so you can see exactly where we are now. Um, every 30 seconds that update, so if you do want to come and find me and run with me, then uh, drop me a message and, and yeah, so let's run. Yeah, great. Thank you. Yeah, do have a look at the website, everyone. The Running the World stats I found very interesting. There's plenty of them. Yeah. Well, thanks, Nick. It's been great to great to chat. I hope that you that you heal quickly. Um, Thank you. Yeah. You know, the next couple of days, enjoy your rest, and um, yeah. We'll be back on the road before you know. It. No, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, it's an honour. Um, I've been a big fan of uh, Ikea Run for a long time, so thank you.